Lord, we just come before you right now. God, I ask that your hand be in the midst, Lord. I pray that your word be preached this morning. I pray that your kingdom come, Lord, that our lives may be changed, that our lives may reflect you as image bearers of you, Jesus, that we would be be broken, molded and made by you, Jesus. God, we love you, we honor you, and in your beautiful name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Just before I start, during worship, I was just, God was putting a, a, a verse on my heart, and then Jess came and did what Jess has been doing for the last few weeks. And one of the things that Jess has really been pressing into when she's been leading is getting you guys forward to come and pray. And I, I, I want to just take a moment to explain something. I've been in a lot of conversations over the last probably six months about the church, with church leaders, with other uh, people in other churches. And the question has always been, what's the point, right? What is the point of the gathering of Sunday morning? And what are we trying to achieve in this? And why do this when we could all be at home sleeping in with our, in our rugged up beds when it's raining and, and be celebrating Mother's Day the way we would want to with breakfast in bed and those sorts of things. And one of the things that keeps coming back to my mind is that we are called to be a body of people who pushes back the gates of hell. We are called to be a moving class people, an offensive class people, not a defensive class people. And as we were singing that song, I want more, as Coco brought forward too, I started to think, what more could we really want? We have the creator God inside us. We were made to be the temple of the living God. We were made to be the very image of the creator of the heavens and the earth. We were, we were positioned to be a ruling class, pioneering people. We were called to be image bearers of the greatest being that has ever can be known in all of the universes that we know, decided to choose us to be inside us. And I understand the sentiment of the song, and I love the song. We want more. We want more, God. We want to see more of you. We want to see more in our surroundings. But when we start to ponder on that point, Lord, what else could we possibly need that you've already given us? And as Jess started, she said, you know, we're to be thankful. What are we thankful for? For me, and I just started thinking this, I'm thankful that I was not the right choice, but God made me the right choice, that I was not good enough to be or big enough or lots of enoughs but he decided to make me that enough that in me i i wonder lord i want more and i do i want more i want to see his kingdom come like never before i want to see revival i want to see this city know the name of jesus i want all of that but in me am i okay and content that he has done enough and while i was worshiping this morning god brought this verse back to me that I've wrestled with for so long and it's the rich young ruler because he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, I've done all these things, I've done all this stuff and still is it not enough? And the challenge in me is that Jesus positions him, he says, go and give all that you have, then you can come and worship me. And I, the reason I find it so interesting is because Jesus charges the rich young ruler to go and do it. He doesn't hold his hand. He doesn't follow him. He doesn't try and coerce him. Come along. Come and be a part of church. Come and worship me. Come and let me, let me be there with you. He says, go and sort yourself out and then come back. And we don't like that in our 
overstimulated, grace-filled Western churches because we want to be pandered, we want to be carried, we want to be pat on the back. I promise I have an encouraging message, but we've got to be challenged first. Why? Because we're called to be a bigger people. If we want to emit change in this world, if we want to truly see uh, a city moved, a city shaken, if we want to see the poor come out of their poverty, if we want to see the broken come into wholeness, if we want to see the kingdom come on earth, and we have to start to understand this book was never, ever about me. I'm in it. I get to be a part of it. But it was written for him. It was designed for him. It was created for him. Glory be to you, Jesus. I get to play a part and I'm so grateful that I get to play a part. But the rich young ruler, and one day I will preach through what God's shown me as to who he was and he was redeemed, I believe, holy and created and becomes an amazing man in the kingdom of God. But what we see is we see Jesus say, you want to be with me, go sort yourself out. Now we go, so Ben, you're telling me that I have to go and sort myself without Jesus. No, he will come with you and sort you out with you. But what it is, is we can't keep sitting here and saying, they don't have enough for me. This is not enough for me. That's not, this isn't, I can't, Lord, if I could just. God says, I've given you all you need. Come to me. James says, if we draw unto him, he will draw unto us. It starts with our drawing. It starts with our pulling in. It starts with our position of our heart to say, Lord, I'm coming to you so that you'll come back to me. There's a fancy word called a paracresis, which means a dance. It's a beautiful dance. There's a a stepping back and a stepping into that Jesus says, I will dance with you, but I need you, my partner. See, it's beautiful that we get called as a church the bride because he gives us such an integral role. But we still have to ready ourselves. We still have to get in the car and walk down the aisle. We have to bring ourselves before him. We can't continue to sit on our hands and say, Lord, I'm waiting for you. When you ready me, I'll come. Jesus says, no, put oil in your own lantern. Prepare your own things because I'm coming and I will take who's ready themselves for me. In Matthew 4, Jesus calls one of the disciples. He calls a man named Simon. And in Matthew 4, 18 to 20, we see Simon fishing. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who it says in brackets, who was called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. His name was Simon. And we have in brackets there that it's called Peter because later on in Matthew, in Matthew 16, one of my favorite verses in the, New, in the New Testament, we see Jesus change Simon's name. In Matthew 16, 13 and 20, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said to him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon replies, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. That's why we know that his name's Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. A man named Simon comes. He's standing before Jesus. Jesus says, who do they say that I am? And through revelation of the Father, Simon says, you are the one. You are the great king. And right there, Jesus changes his name. I no longer will call you Simon, but I will, break, I will bring to you a new lineage. You will be, G, you will be uh, Peter or Little Rock Petra. Little Rock, and on you I will build the church, right? This challenge is huge because we see this man named Simon and, and when I, uh, Peter, when I read the Bible, I, I, I wonder if I was in that time, Lord, would, have, would have I have been one of them? And you start trying to decide which disciple you wanted to be. And Peter sounds pretty good, right? He was in the top three, old Pete. He's in the top three. He was, he was, the, he was one of the, the guys. And Jesus says, I will build for you. I will build on you the church which will push back the gates of hell. And just a little side note for free. It says there that we will be able to bind and loose on earth and in heaven that we will be able to bind and loose things that are in heaven and on earth. The word, the word bind means to prohibit or forbid, and the word loose means to, to permit, to allow something to take place. You loosen your hand to allow it to take place. And what Jesus is saying right here, that in the old Jewish understanding, if they were to make a ruling on something scriptural, that they would have to bring the, the Sanhedrin, the, the rulers of the day, in to decide, is this something we're going to make a ruling on? Are we going to decide whether we, whether, whether we dunk in baptism or whether we sprinkle in baptism? They would have to bring a ruling. There would be a long time. But Jesus says, no, on you now, I'm going to give you the authority through the Holy Spirit to actually determine and understand the Scriptures. That's why it's the funniest thing that, that being a church leader is one of the only times where you can spend hours in this and someone who spends two minutes is allowed to come and tell you that you're wrong, which I think is fantastic. And I love it. You can go to the most well-educated theologian and little old Betty who's read this for a couple of weeks can come and say, you're wrong. But that's because the Holy Spirit allows us to read this and to make a decision through our spirit as to what's really taking place. That's why we have so many different doctrines and theologies and so many different um, uh, sects and S-E-C-T-S and... Um, just getting a clarification there for some of you who needed it. Because um, I can't think of the word. Denominations. Denominations. Why there's so many different denominations, right? So many different. Because what God said in this moment at, at uh, Caesarea Philippi or the spiritual gates to Hades, he said, I will allow you, the church, through my Holy Spirit, to make decisions based on this. You don't have to go and find the ruling class people. You don't have to allow only the smart people to tell you how to follow me. I will get my spirit to show you how to follow me. Right there in that moment, what Jesus was doing was he was saying, you, my church, I give you the authority and the power to advance my kingdom. The authority and power to advance the kingdom of Yahweh God rests in us. He is calling us to advance the kingdom. 
And what happens and why I get so challenged in the church today and why I think what Jess is doing is fantastic and what we are trying to encourage by bringing a word to say we got to clean up. we got to strengthen ourselves. we got to find who we are in him to go and advance. Why? Because I think that the enemy is happy with us sitting in our big churches and just hanging out week to week and being powerless. But the challenge is that it can't just be on Moses to go up the mountain. It has to be on the Israelites who are at the bottom who said, all of you come. And they said, no, Moses, we're actually not too stoked about it. You go up the mountain and see God. We'll wait here and we'll wait for you to come back. The problem was that when Moses was away, what did the Israelites do? They worshipped other gods. Jess and I, other leaders in the city, they can't have their faith for you. They can lead you, they can teach you, they can guide you. But you have to be the one who says, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm coming again and again and again. I don't understand it, but I'll read it again. I don't know what it means, but I'll sit in your presence again. God, I want to be before you. I want to see your heart. I want to see your kingdom. I want to know you. Because when the world gets into a storm, then I know where my rock is. I know where the anchor is. But what I, what I fear happens is that we become a people who God's changed our name. He's given us a new, create, a new created being. The Bible says that we, we are new creations in Him. Bless you. We are new creations in Him, right? Jesus has changed our name. We are no longer Simon. We become Peter. He's changed our name. He's given us the ability to bind and loose. So we go, yes, it's all uphill from here. It's all hunky-dory. If I'm Simon, if I'm Simon who becomes Peter, Jesus put the church on me. He's, he's made me one of his closest three. He's taken me up the, the mountain of transfiguration. He's allowed me to walk on water. I'm the superstar. Nothing can tear me down, right? I'm the, I'm the one. I'm the chosen disciple. One of three. And it all sounds amazing until you get just the next verse over. The, the, the next part in Matthew 16, 13 to 20, Simon becomes Peter and he gets this pat on the back from Jesus, this amazing, this is who you are. And then 21 to 23 says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, his new strong name, I'm now Peter, the superstar. Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that shall never happen to you. Jesus turns, he says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of earth. Oh, how quickly we go, I'm not Peter, I'm someone else. I was Peter a verse ago, now I'm no longer Peter. I was Peter when he became this, this strong figure of the church not two sentences later jesus says get behind me satan and then to think that it can't get any worse to think that it can't get any worse jesus in john 21 15 19 when they'd finished breakfast jesus says to simon peter simon son of jonah sorry that's not where it is Matthew 26.30 rather, in Matthew 26.30, a little bit later, Jesus says this to Peter, when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, 
You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Oh, strong Peter answers him, Though they are all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Not Peter. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. What did Peter do? Deny Jesus. This strong figure that we see as a disciple, this strong, one of the close ones, one of the ones who rested with Jesus, who reclined with him at table, who gave his life up. He said, I will die for you, Lord. When the, when the chips fell, when, the, when the, the time had come for him to do something, he fails again and again. On Thursday morning, we're talking about this get behind me, Satan, and when's the right time to use get behind me, Satan? <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it was quite funny. I said to the guys, you know, if, if I sternly said to you, get behind me, Satan, do you think that would be encouraging or discouraging? And they're like, discouraging. I said, exactly. Jesus had the authority to know what he was talking to. He had the authority to know that there was a spirit moving. He had the authority to actually operate in that. And I'm not suggesting that we do. But could you imagine just being told, Peter, I'm changing your name. You're the new strong Peter. And on you, I'll build my church. You're thinking, I can't do anything wrong. I'm the guy. And then very next time, boom, I've just stepped in the wrong place. For those of you who have played golf, it's like getting a birdie. And the next hole, you're like, I'm the guy, right? I can't hit this ball wrong. The point in this is that just the disciples, just as we are, we have to constantly be leaning into Christ. We have to constantly be reshifting, removing our mind to understand what is taking place. The moment we think we have it, the moment we think, I don't need to do this anymore, I don't need to anymore, God says, you've forgotten me. He says to him, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because he shifted his mind from the things that were above and he shifted it onto the worldly things. In a split second, in a split second, Simon Peter went from Simon to Peter back to Simon real quick. See, when we get given a new nature, when we get given the new creation that God's made us to be, that's how we're supposed to live. That's who we live from. And Jesus says, now I have changed you. No longer are you Ben. You are Ben hidden in me. And then I go, yes, I'm freed. I'm hidden in him. I can do no wrong. And then a split second later, I operate back from my old life. We've spoken about this for so much, but it's so powerful that right here, one of the disciples, one of the, the keen number three disciples. And the reason that this is so important, because just like the rich young ruler, just like Time and time and time again, story after story after story in the, in the New Scriptures, in the New Testament rather, we see this happen where Jesus says, don't forget who I am. Don't forget who I am. Can you imagine, can you imagine you've been called out into the wilderness, out of Egypt, no longer slaves. There is a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. But still, I have to work on myself to remember who God is. It's right there. There's a pillar right there. God, are you with us? Yes. Right? Yes. Can you not see my pillar that you can see for miles? Yes, I'm with you. But still, 
the Israelites ask for another leader to go back in to Egypt. Still, they say, God, you're not with me. I can't do this. What do you mean I'm not with you? I'm giving you manna by day. There's enough food there. There is a pillar of fire. See, I think we get ourselves caught in a place where we go, if only there was more uh, public prophetic words given, I'd know God's in our midst. If only there was more of this, I'd know that God would be in our midst. If only there was more Lord love in my week, I would know that you are there. This is a challenge to us because we go, God, I want to be a disciple of you. Then keep your eyes on me. I want to make sure that I step where you've asked me to step. Then keep your eyes on me. Come back to me again and again and again and again so that you know where I'm calling you, leading you and guiding you. Peter operates in his position where he thinks I've got this nailed. God's called me. Then he stuffs it. Then he says, I've got it. I see stuff. I've got it again. And the powerful moment is in John 21, 15 to 19. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's died on the cross. He's risen again. I'm sorry, he's died on the cross. Peter flees, as we all know. He goes to hide, just like the other disciples had gone to hide. Jesus dies on the cross. He rises again. He comes and he sits with, with Peter. And I could only imagine the nerve to sit with Jesus. He would have been nervous. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? I left him. In the moment of need, I left him. And you know, we look at this and we go, if I was Peter, I wouldn't have ran. I would have ran. 100% I would have ran. In those days, and even in these days today, if they find a, a, a top terrorist, they don't just take out the top guy. right? They take out all of his friends, all of the people that could replace him. The reason the disciples were hiding was because they knew that Jesus had just been killed. They were coming after anyone who was following so that no one could take his place. The disciples were under threat of being killed. Serious potential threat of hanging on a cross beside him. I understand Peter saying, I don't know that man. I don't know him. But then he sits down. Jesus says, bring Peter. I want to talk to him. Peter, yeah. The Lord wants to talk to you. I don't know. I mean, think about this. How many people in churches, how many of us, how many times have we done something wrong and we go, I can't go to church on Sunday. I can't pray today. I can't read my Bible today. I stuffed it. We do exactly what Peter would have done. We run. And Jesus, I want to speak to him. I want to speak to him. Peter must have been thinking, what does he want to say? He says, Simon, son of Jonah, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. Then he said to show me by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to me, follow me. 
There's so much that takes place in what Jesus is doing in this, in this time. The first thing is notice that, what does Jesus call him? Simon. He calls him by his old name. He calls him by his broken state. He calls him by his fallen state. He says, Simon. But then the author, who's John, when he refers to him, he says, Peter was distressed by this. Peter was grieved because he said him the third time. John calls him Peter, but Jesus calls him Simon. Why? Because he was acting out of his old life. He was acting out of his broken, fallen state. And Jesus says, you're not acting like Peter. You're acting like your forementioned Simon. So I'm going to refer to you as Simon. And then he says to him, Simon, do you love me? He asks him three times because he restores him three times. Peter denied him three times. Jesus restores him three times. And at the very end, he says, follow me. But there's another few interesting things in this verse. He tosses this thing in at the end and he says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Who remembers when they first got saved? The first year to six months, maybe for some of us it was longer, you were filled with zeal. You don't have to be told to read your Bible. You don't have to be told to get around people who love Jesus. You don't have to be told to enter into prayer because that's all you want to do, right? You press in. Because when you're young, when you're young, we go where we go. We walk wherever we want. We do what we want to do. We press in. But as we get older, as we get older in our faith, as we get older in our lives, we tend to become much more malleable to do what we're told and to do it where we're told. What happens is we become more and more inclined to do the things people tell us to do and less inclined to do the things we actually want to do. So when Paul cries out in Hebrews, he says, I do the things, sorry, in Romans, he says, I do the things I know I don't want to do because when we're old, we have to make the decisions to actually step into that place. You have to make the decisions. I want to be here. I want to do this. I want to read God. I want to press in. I want to know you more. I want to see you more. I was listening to a podcast during the week. He was a, 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 a sociologist who leads a church and I was challenged because he was talking about the fact that there's moments in, the li in our lives that we're less inclined to press into God and moments in our lives that we're more inclined to press into God. And there's moments in our lives that we're more inclined to go to church and moments in our life when we're less inclined to go to church. And what he was saying that as our life ebbs and flows, when we're at school, we're inclined to go and be a part of it. As we go to uni, we're inclined to step out because we've got other things to do. When we start to get married, we want to get back involved and have kids because we want our kids to be raised up. And then when our kids move out, we become by a boat in our midlife crisis and just go and live on the sea. We leave again. And then as we get older, our life tends to come a little bit more towards where am I going so I go back in, right? And it's these ebbs and flows. And all I could think while he was talking was me, 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 me. What is going to be for me? Where's my life at? What am I doing? And the whole time I'm thinking and, and, I, and I think, well, what does Jesus walk away from the conversation with the rich young rule and go, oh, well, he's at that time of his life where he's stepping out. Jesus says, no, you want it? Come and get it. Here it is. He holds out his hand. You want this? I do, Lord. Then reach out and take it. Well, I can't. Why? Because I'm too far away. I can't, Lord, because, 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 because. And the whole time Jesus says, I won't move. I will stand beside you with my hand open and say, come and take what you want from me. 
And I don't mean that in the sense that we get to become, Jesus becomes a genie in a bottle. I mean that in the sense of if you want more of me, I'm here. If you want to know me more, I'm here. If you want to give yourself more, I'm here. But you have to come to me. As we get older, it gets harder to press in because somebody else is trying to dress us. I spoke a few weeks ago about you will serve some master, your telephone, the app that you can't seem to look away from, the movies you can't seem to stop watching, the stories you can't seem to stop reading. All these things are leading us and guiding us. I'm not saying those things are inherently bad. I'm saying when they become the rulers of our life, when they become the things that lead us and guide us, when they become what makes us tick, that's where we enter into problems. But there's one more fascinating thing in this scripture that God reveals. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter responds three times with, yes, I love you. But there's something fascinating in the difference between the way they emphasize the word love. Jesus, when he says, do you love me? He uses the word agape. The word agape means to love wholeheartedly, without any miss, without any failure, to love you regardless of what you do. I love you. He says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with all that you are? Do you love me aside from anything else? Do you love me much more than the, the things in the world? Do you love me? And this is what Peter responds. He says, Jesus, yes, I phileo you. I love you with a friend love. I love you as a friend. You're my mate. Phileo refers to a brotherly love and is more often exhibited in a close friendship. Best friends will display the generous and affectionate love for each other as each seeks to make the other happy. It comes from the head, not the heart. But agape love, a love that a father has for a son or, or, or a mother has for a son or a daughter is the love of regardless of what you do, I love you. It comes from the heart. You ever wonder why you see a parent who goes back again and again and again to help a, a son who's a drug addict or a son that's broken loss? I, I don't want to, but I love him too much. That's agape. I love him regardless of what he does. So Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I phileo you. Then he says again, Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me more than anything? Peter responds, Jesus, I phileo you. I love you as a friend. And then the last time Jesus asks, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me as a friend? And it's almost like Peter goes, yes, Lord, I phileo you. I understand that type of love. Jesus changes the last minute because Peter doesn't understand what he's actually trying to say to him. Do you love me beyond all else? And I think and I feel and I self-included in this that we have a lot of people in the church who are screaming out, Jesus, I phileo you. I love you. I love you, but not more than the things in my life, but not more than my my desire for this or my desire for that, but not more than my work, not more than the things that I want to do, but I do love you. And you know, when we start seeing some of these, these things happening in, in big church leaders falling and people walking away from the faith and this talk of a mass, a mass exodus from the church, I start questioning why. Because we're caught in a love that's about brotherly friendship, not about agape to the ends, Lord. When we understand what Jesus is actually saying to Peter, and I don't think Peter was, was 
being rude or terrible. I don't think he understood how to operate in that level of love. God, I can't tell you that because I don't know. I've clearly just shown that I don't know what it means to love you unconditionally. I've clearly just shown you that I don't know how to love you in this manner. Would you please show me? And oftentimes in my prayer life, I'm saying, Lord, please teach me how to love you better. Because my way is insignificant. My way is not the way that you designed for me. My way is not agape. My way is self-serving. My way is, is, is looking after number one. My way is God, love me so that I can. Love me so that I can. Whereas your way is I love you regardless. Jesus restores Simon back to Peter. He says, stop living in your old life. Go to who I am. And then at the very end, he says, follow me again. He asks him to be his disciple once again. Peter, come and be my disciple again. Follow me. And if you go and read Acts, you will see the things that Peter does. But the challenge in this for us is very clear. Lord, would you teach me to love you? All of us here this morning, all of us here this morning are disciples of Christ. Would that be fair to say? I think it's fair to say. All of us here are disciples of Christ, which means we're all going to stuff up. We're all going to get it wrong. We're all going to deny him. We're all going to operate in a place where we don't want to operate. And Jesus will continue to restore you. But the charge for us as the church is to continue to seek him and not seek our, not shift our gaze. The, glory, the glorious person in that story of Peter and Jesus is Jesus. Jesus didn't have to forgive him. He didn't have to restore him. He didn't have to say, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. You don't understand what I'm saying. But he took the time to say, even though, even though you've missed the mark, Peter, even though you denied me publicly, I love you. I agape you, Peter. I love you beggar than you can even begin to understand. But that's not a desire. That's not the time for us to go, well, God loves me, so I'll live how I want to live. I'll do what I want to do. That's the time for us to go, Lord, help me love you. Help me be an image bearer of your love. Help me reveal your kingdom in the times when it's absolutely painful. Where it's the times where people are hurting and their lives are a mess. And we go, don't worry, Jesus loves you. And they go, it doesn't feel like it right now. It feels like my world's falling apart. Because we don't understand Jesus loves in a way that we are, cannot fathom. But he's asking us to press into him and love with him and in his kingdom and understanding. That's the way that we live in that place. Does that make sense? God has changed us. He's created us as new beings. He's made us in his image and likeness. Our spirit made whole. Our spirit made in, in him. And we now become the temple of the Holy Spirit, Yahweh God, living inside us and moving and flowing through us. When we learn how to tap into and live from that place, we learn how to understand and operate from that love that God has. Amen. Thank you, Ben.